HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Appeal. Appeal is a plant-based protective layer that helps produce last up to twice as long. Learn more at appeal.com. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I hope they are all tuning into Tech Bytes, the show on the Heritage Radio Network where we look at innovations in the food tech space. And we are recording remotely today via Zencaster. We are no longer in our beloved shipping container studio at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Normally at this time of year, it's very festive and cozy with a wood-burning fire and pizza. But given the global pandemic, we have been doing the show remotely, which has really afforded us a great opportunity to talk with people around the world and people who maybe wouldn't have been able to make it to see us in our shipping container in Brooklyn. Today is one such case where both of our guests are coming from California. We are doing a show about sustainability and food waste, which listeners of the show for the past five years will know this is a topic that we've covered again and again, but from very different points of view. Um, The amount of food waste that there is in the world is just staggering. The number of people that the world will have to feed in the coming years is also staggering. And maybe if those are too big and too esoteric of ideas to think about on the day-to-day, the profit margins of a restaurant business sort of live and die by food waste and food costing. And if you want to take it down to a very small personal scale, how much food waste reduction you can have, how much longevity you can have to your products, um, that will increase the profit and the viability of any small business, whether you're a restaurant, a food maker, or a farmer. So today we have two really interesting tech companies that are attacking the idea of food waste and sustainability in two very different ways. We have Kristen Kirsten Van Fossen, who is the head of sustainability and education at a actually data company called Galley Solutions. Kirsten, thanks for joining us from California. It's very early for you out there. <laughs> thanks for having me, Jennifer. And we also have Jess Vieira, who is the Director of Sustainability from a company called Appeal Sciences. And this company is working directly with the fruits and vegetables themselves to prolong their longevity. Um, you know, I had spoken with these two really uh, interesting uh, women from really great companies at different Uh, moments over the course of the year. And I really wanted to find a way to talk to both of them about the things that they're doing, Um, not only because they're interesting projects, but because their sustainability and food waste efforts definitely had to take a little bit of a different turn because of the pandemic. And something that we've seen over and over again up close in our daily lives when we're in the grocery stores and in the farmer's market is the food supply chain, getting food from farms to stores to restaurants, businesses being open, businesses being closed. Um, it, it's really created a lot of chaos in a system that is not really working smoothly to begin with. So they're very uh, different 
solutions and experiences, but they kind of do go together in a, in a very particular way when you look at them through the lens of extending the life of food and reducing food waste and sustainability. So we'll start with um, Kirsten. Galley Solutions is essentially a data and um, software platform for restaurants and catering companies and food service companies, and it essentially helps businesses understand um, exactly what type of product and supplies they're going through and takes a look at their use and their efficiency and really helps businesses identify areas where they're wasting things, identify areas where they could be a little bit leaner and cut costs, and then help them find solutions of doing that. It's sort of that age-old adage of if you can't count it, if you don't count it, then you can't adjust it or fix it or you know really value it. And along the way, Galley Solutions became a part of a really interesting uh, California grant on recycling and food waste. So I'll let Kirsten talk a little bit just about initially what their grant was about and then how it had to switch gears um, when the pandemic happened and the businesses kind of started to close. Exactly. So um, that grant that you've mentioned, it's a grant that's come from CalRecycle, which is the state recycling department. Um, and it's a grant that's funded by the California Climate Investment. So the grant is called uh, the CalRecycle Food Waste Prevention and Rescue Grant. And what we initially proposed there was a very regimented project um, to measure food waste at kitchen partner sites. Um, so establish their food waste baseline. And we used uh, a tool, a system called LeanPath. They're, they're another software business um, that's tackling food waste. Um, so we established that baseline. And then the idea was to introduce Galley um, and look at how Galley could help these kitchen sites further prevent food waste. Um, and that project started in... September 2019, and um, we had we started with one kitchen partner, um, successfully got them up and running on Lean Path, established their food waste baseline, then started to introduce Galley. Um, they got all of their recipes into Galley, uh, really dialed in their costs, and um, then saw that they were able to prevent food waste by working with these two systems. So um, that was the initial project that we proposed. And we proposed to roll that project out to an additional six kitchen site partners in March uh, 2020. Um, and then we we all saw what happened in, in March 2020. Um, so a lot of the kitchens that we had planned to work with uh, in that second phase of the project, they unfortunately had to had to shut down, or um, it was just a time where you know there were lots of layoffs, and uh, they really just didn't have the bandwidth to to jump into a, a project like this and and get up and running with a new system. So around that time, um, we were talking with with the first kitchen partner. Um, we'd still been working with them the whole time. And uh, they're, they're called Eco Caters and they're a local catering company here in San Diego. Um, and one of the things that, that we found was that there's lots of surplus produce uh, in the supply chain, produce that was intended to go to restaurants, um, but no longer had that outlet. So we worked with Eco Caters and CalRecycle to um, approve a sort of sub-project where we supported Eco Caters to get commercial dehydrators, and they then took this surplus food, uh, things like mushrooms, dehydrated them, and really used Galley to record all of the, the processes and, and new recipes that they were coming up with. Um, yeah, so that's that's a little bit about the project, how it's you know taken some turns. Well, one of the two of the points that I think are notable is that the initial project was about simply a reduction of food waste, and um, you know I'd be curious to know, Kirsten, 
in terms of just a general purview, what percentage of food waste are most of the what percentage of food waste do you think most of the food businesses have that you're working with? Um, and, you know, pre-pandemic, even if we don't look at, you know, the larger sustainability issue for, you know, the public and the planetary good, food waste really affects the bottom line of a business. Yeah, it definitely, it, it really does. Um, and what we saw in in that data um, that we were measuring at Ecocators was that uh, we were able through Lean Path and Galley to reduce food waste by thirty percent, um, and that was that was hundreds of dollars for the business. Um, and Ecocators is a, a relatively small business, so imagine thirty percent uh, food waste reduction at a large food service management company. That's thousands and thousands of dollars. So it's a when and we're, when we're talking about uh, food waste in a business setting, whether it's a small caterer or a really large production group, it's also people labor because people make a lot of the food. <laughs> so we're talking about not just wasting ingredients and in food itself, but we're also talking about wasting um, human work hours when they could be working doing something else. So that, I mean, that in a nutshell is just really, you know, even if people are not interested in saving the planet, you know, 20 years from now, just saving cost in your business and making your business more uh, solvent and increasing those profit margins is fantastic. The piece that struck me, which was so interesting, was the pivot that you made in terms of finding a way to use the excess uh, produce and production that was being produced in the farms, because that is something that we've seen over and over again these past few months, specifically as a result of the pandemic in terms of farms producing more than enough food for people to eat, but having no outlet to sell them or having no transportation chain to sell them because the grocery stores or restaurants or food service companies had to shut down. So the dehydration idea is really an interesting one in that you take fresh things and you dehydrate them, in essence, saving them for a much, much longer period of time. And that sort of pivots us into appeal, which is an interesting idea also in terms of preserving. Their mission is extending the shelf life of vegetables and food, but at its fresh state. So not dehydrating it or preserving it or something like that. And this is something that they are working on all the time because in many places you you do have this excess of production that hits a wall and then turns into food waste if it's not sold immediately. So Jess, tell us a little bit about how Appeal works. It's such an interesting idea to simply just preserve the life of fresh things to give us a greater opportunity to consume them. Sure, and good morning, and thank you for thank you for having me on the on the podcast today too. Um, yeah, when when we think about appeal, we're we're really looking at the food system and asking the question: What if instead of food going bad, um, you know, there was a way for it to actually go good? And so we've developed this plant-derived coating that's applied to fresh fruits and vegetables after they're harvested, and it extends the shelf life so the fruits and vegetables last twice as long, as you mentioned, in their fresh state. Um, It does this by slowing down the rate of water loss and oxidation, which are the primary causes of spoilage, um, with ingredients that are already in all of the fresh fruits and vegetables that we're consuming on a regular basis. Um, and so we're really excited about, you know, what this can mean, not just, um, you know, for food waste throughout the supply chain, but also in consumers' homes, um, in really all different contexts. Because as you mentioned, you know, oftentimes when there's even small disruptions to the food system, you know, we've seen quite large ones with covid we don't really have the time to make the adjustments that we need to get food to the people who need it um, before it spoils. And so having that extension in time can mean a lot um, in a lot of different contexts. It can be 
you know, avoiding food waste during transportation. It could be finding enough time to find a buyer um, when there's disruptions to where the demand is actually coming from. Um, so we're, we're really excited about these products. And so far, we've launched um, here in the U.S. products on avocados, organic apples, and limes, and have also um, launched products for the EU market on avocados, oranges, and mandarins. So do you think that there has been a big shift in terms of uh, interest in the product and people needing additional time from, you know, before the pandemic, before March of 2020, um, to where there is now, is there a greater interest in what appeal can do um, because people are just really looking for new creative solutions and they're sort of willing to try new things where maybe a year ago you'd have to convince them? I think that there's definitely been an acceleration. We we were still seeing a lot of interest, you know, a year ago when you, I mean, you mentioned the, even the financial costs of food waste and literally, you know, money is evaporating out of the food system. The It's estimated to be $2.6 trillion when you also take into account the environmental and social costs associated with food waste. And so we were already seeing traction, um, you know, with produce suppliers, retailers. Um, but I think COVID has really highlighted um, the, the need for products that make our system more resilient. And so if anything, it's accelerated, um, you know, some of our business conversations and also in, allowed us to engage consumers in a way that I think we may not have been able to as quickly because, I mean, I know when, you know, March hit, I changed the way that I shopped at the grocery store. I really paid a lot closer attention to how exactly what I was buying, how long it was going to last, because we were all trying to minimize, you know, the number of times that we have to go to the grocery store each month and really thinking about food waste um, at in a lot more intimate way, I think, than we, we ever have before. So I think it's, it's definitely um, awoken, you know, some of us to really how fragile parts of the food system are and given us an opportunity to, you know, build things back a little bit better than, than they were before, which is where I think appeal can be a solution, you know, for growers, suppliers, distributors, retailers, um, and, and with consumers too. I wonder if, you know, you talk about being in the grocery store and being very, very thoughtful about what you were buying for a variety of reasons, um, wanting to, you know, fill your fridge and cupboards, you know, in a smart way where it would sustain you for a week or maybe two weeks, depending on how frequently you wanted to go to the store. Um, in New York City, definitely, we have really tiny kitchen spaces. So it's also like a Jenga puzzle of what you can fit in your tiny refrigerator and cupboards. <laughs> yeah, I recall, you know, articles about, you know, stock up a month's worth of food or at least two weeks of food. And I, I don't know that I physically have the space to do that. <laughs> let alone perhaps the, the economics, which is a whole other issue. I wonder, we know that consumers are more aware of the food supply chain. We know that consumers are more aware of the global supply chain. You know, we've been seeing articles about this issue. We've continued to see empty shelves, not just in supermarkets, but also for other products, you know, bicycles, uh, shower curtains, you know, hand sanitizer, you know, lotion, everything across the board is has been disrupted. For a question to both of you, do you think consumers, um, and then Kirsten, perhaps more to you, business owners, are, even though people are more aware, is this what's driving their decisions? Do we think people will be uh, continue to be more thoughtful consumers going through this? Or is it simply a question of, I'm aware of it, but given the conditions, I'm really mostly interested in just getting what I need for my business or my family. So I think there's there's interest because of the cost savings. Um, you know, we talked earlier about how uh, we saw a business saving hundreds of dollars a week by preventing food waste. Um, I also think that there's an increased interest among businesses 
and consumers uh, because we just see everyone's having such a, a difficult time right now. Um, and people are, are really looking for ways to help out. Um, so just in general, these products that have more of a sustainability mission or these businesses that have more of a sustainability mission, um, I think that right now is, is really their time. Uh, it's the time that, that people are looking to give back in, in kind of any way they can. So these business models where it's a, a buy one, give one, something like that. Uh, we've seen a lot of, of our customers. So caterers, um, meal delivery companies introducing these sorts of these sorts of uh, programs in their businesses. Um, and we've seen them be really successful. Jess, do you think uh, consumers in the grocery store are committed to looking for these types of products? Do you think it's just nice to see and they would maybe go for that first? Do you think it's just a question of, I, I need to get the things that I need for myself and my family for the next few weeks? I think what we've seen is, you know, people want to make a decision that's good for their, you know, family, good for their health, also good for the planet. Um, and, you know, for the broader, more altruistic um, reasons as well. But th it has to check all of those other boxes too. You know, I, I don't think that we would expect to, you know, offer consumers a more expensive product um, that maybe didn't even, you know, taste as good, um, that, you know, was more sustainable and think that that would work. I think, you know, the products have to be just as good, if not better, in other dimensions um, in order to, and then on top of that, have additional sustainability benefits. And I think the sustainability benefits do help to build you know, trust and engagement with consumers, but the the products do need to offer, um, you know, meet those other criteria that are that we know are so important to consumers. Um, I think that's where you know something like food waste creates these win win um, opportunities because you know if you can keep food lasting longer and it's fresher state, um, then you're you're helping them better manage their costs, um, you're still allowing them to eat some of what are the most nutritious foods that tend to be the most perishable. Um, and you're also giving them a product that's better for our global food system and that will reduce the amount of you know water and land and energy required to, to feed the growing population. So I think, I think they're it's hard to separate um, them out because I think it needs to be an and, um, not not an or. An and, not an or. That's a good way to look at it. We are going to take a quick break to find out who the amazing entity is that is sponsoring this show. And did you know that Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit? We are. We're kind of like public radio. We keep the lights on and the mics hot out of generosity of our members, who are mostly listeners like you, grants, and amazing underwriters. I also just want to say that we are recording this on Tuesday, December 1st, and even though you will probably listen to this in the future, today is Giving Tuesday, and you can always give, even if it's not a Tuesday, at heritageradionetwork.org and click the beating heart. We are open for donations and giving 24-7, 365 days a year. But we also have something very special happening right now, which is our annual holiday auction. And if you're looking for some cyber deals on really amazing food gifts to stock your pantry or maybe the pantry of a loved one, um, check out our holiday auction. It's going to close on Friday evening, December 4th. And there are lots of different things from lots of cookbooks to pantry starters with wonderful spice mixes and there's even a country cabin that you can rent for a week so stay with us after the break this episode is brought to you by appeal 
Here at HRN, we care about reducing food waste across our food system, from farms to home kitchens. We know that about half the produce we grow ends up in the trash. We all want to enjoy produce at peak freshness and reduce the amount that gets thrown away. That's where Appeal comes in. Appeal is a plant-based protective layer that helps produce last up to twice as long. It's edible, invisible, and imitates how peels naturally protect fruit and vegetables. Because here's the thing. Less waste just doesn't mean we're throwing less food away. It also means we waste less water, energy, and other resources that go into growing produce. Appeal works with nature to reduce waste across the food system, from the farm to the kitchen. Appeal helps us conserve our precious resources to ensure we have fresh food to meet our growing need. Appeal, food gone good. Learn more at appeal.com. The Stone Barn Center for Food and Agriculture will be hosting their annual Young Farmers and Cooks Conference virtually this year on December 8th through 10th. Programming will cover topics like mutual aid, regional grain economies, land management practices, and much, much more. Whether you're a farmer, cook, butcher, miller, preservationist, processor, or anyone else in the food chain, this conference is for you. Learn more at stonebarncenter.org YFCC. We are talking about sustainability and food waste with two very interesting companies that are attacking the problem from very different avenues. We have Kirsten Van Fossen, who is the head of sustainability and education of Galley Solutions, which is a data platform that you plug into your business, whether it's a restaurant or food service, and it helps you figure out where food waste is happening and how to optimize all those things. And even if you don't care about the planet, if you're a business owner, you probably care about making more money. If you're interested in that, you can check them out at galleysolutions.com. They are also on LinkedIn. And if there's anything that really resonates with you on this episode, Kirsten Van Fossen says to reach out to her on LinkedIn and maybe you can connect. We also have Jess Vieira, who is the Director of Sustainability at Appeal Sciences, and they are doing a lot of really interesting things about making fresh food stay fresher longer. You can check them out at appeal.com. On Instagram, they are appeal underscore sciences, and on Twitter, they are at appeal sciences. A lot of interesting things happening, and you know, when we talk about the numbers of billions of pounds of food that are wasted over the course of a year, it's, it's really just staggering. Um, but, you know, sometimes those headlines and numbers earlier in the first half of the show just said it's $2.6 trillion attached to all the food that's wasted when you look at it from a holistic point of view, which is just breathtaking and horrifying all in the same way. It's definitely big issues and big problems that we're certainly not going to solve on this episode and probably not this year. But I would be curious to know both to Kirsten and Jess, what types of things uh, Galley and Appeal are looking at doing heading into 2021? Uh, what types of uh, products or you know, new things you might be rolling out, what you're seeing in terms of needs from the industry or from consumers, um, something new, or maybe you're just going to full steam ahead and try and meet the rising demand. Kirsten, what's, what's Galley Solutions looking forward to for 2021? The food waste prevention that we've enabled today through Galley, um, it's really a byproduct of of the platform. So the platform, it's a recipe management platform. You can really dial in your costs from there. You can create menus um, for your production. So you can very accurately produce what you need for a given meal. Uh, and then you can, you can also purchase based on those menus. You can take inventory based on those menus. So these are a lot of the, the workflows that we've got in Galley today. And um, in the future, we're going to be building out more workflows that uh, facilitate food waste prevention. So 
Right now, like I said, it's just a byproduct of being able to purchase more accurately, um, produce your recipes and menus more accurately, things like that. But we um, plan to build out a dedicated food waste tracking uh, mechanism. And, and as I said, right now, we've been partnering with, with LeanPath and we've got all of the food waste tracking uh, coming in through LeanPath. Um, but aside from the, the food waste uh, project in sort of the sustainability realm, because I think about sustainability really broadly, um, think about creating a triple bottom line for a business. So not just creating economic, environmental value, but also social value. And something that's really, really elevated during this pandemic is uh, well-being and, and mental health in the food service work environment. So we at Galley will be spending more time um, on that topic, educating on that topic, and also building out functionality around this. Uh, right now, we, we have a survey that goes out on a monthly basis to our users to measure their stress levels, um, but there's, there's definitely opportunity to build more into the platform. And what will happen with your Cal Recycling Grant? Yeah, so that, that project runs through um, the end of March. Uh, so we, the March, 2021. Um, and I should mention that it is, it's a grant that has, so we've been funded in the third cycle of the grant. Um, and they are just, I think, um, I don't know if this will air in time, but I think there's a, a grant cycle that's closing at the end of this week, so December 3rd or 4th. Um, so if you're in California and you catch this in time, um, you can apply for that cycle. But it's it's been a successful program, and I envision that they will continue to um continue to run this grant. So um, yeah, if you're in California, I encourage you to apply. It's been a, a great program and CalRecycle has been a good partner. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, now we've, that, that CalRecycle fund gave us a boost to really dive into food waste. Um, but it's something that is, it's so embedded in what we're doing at Galley that we will continue on um, with this food waste work beyond the grant. Well, that's exciting to keep going. And it's interesting that the grant will be March to March. So it's sort of the pandemic grant <laughs> in a weird way. <laughs> Jess, what is on deck at Appeal for 2021? A couple of different things. But I, I mean, I think our primary focus right now is really just using our product to continue to unlock uh, more value, greater food waste reductions in new regions with new partners. Um, but but one thing that I'm particularly excited about going into next year is um, some recent funding that we received from the International Finance Corporation, um, the private arm of the World Bank Group, uh, to help us expand into emerging markets. Uh, so appeal from you know the very beginning of um, the formation of our company has always had a mission to you know not just reduce waste and mitigate the impacts that food waste has on climate change, but also to create a more participatory food system. So to create use our product and the shelf life extension it creates to enable access um, for growers and suppliers. Um, across the globe to trade lanes that they otherwise may not have been able to reach. And so we're really excited um, about, you know, this new funding that will help us accelerate the establishment of these appeal-powered supply chains in sub-Saharan Africa, Southeast Asia, and, you know, several parts of Central and South America. Um, so we're going to be doing a lot of work going into 2020 to you know, set our priorities and begin to, you know, roll out our product in these different contexts where there, you know, is not necessarily cold chain infrastructure, um, where, you know, shelf life extension is the difference between being able to sell um, to an export market at all um, 
and where more food waste um, actually happens very close to the farm. What does that look like on an individual level in terms of how it will actually articulate on the ground in a local community? So to take an example, um, you know, we, we've done some initial work um, in Kenya and have you know, one team member who's actually based there. And so what we've seen from some of our earlier trials is you know, using our product can as much as increase the income opportunity of a grower by three times. Um, just by enabling them to reach markets farther than what they could um, without it. Because and what you're talking up, about people physically going from their farm to the actual marketplace in town with their, with their crops for sale. Right. Um, or, but right now, for a lot of growers, that's really their only option is that local market. Um, and it's because they don't have... You know, there's no cold chain to supply into that can feed the regional or even export markets. And developing all of the infrastructure um, required to support, you know, refrigeration end to end um, isn't, isn't, you know, near term as feasible in some of these regions. And so we see our product as this way to link um that type of supply and those growers into the trade lanes um, by applying our product, you know, at aggregation points that then can be supplied into um, these higher value markets. Because oftentimes it's not only that they can only reach the local markets, but they're oftentimes, you know, if you're growing mangoes in Kenya, likely your neighbor is growing mangoes. And so you're all supplying the same local markets that are then oversaturated by similar products. Um, so a partner who we worked with was kind of, you know, joking that avocados at some parts of the year are worth less than onions because the market is just oversaturated um, if you can only supply locally um, because they're all in season at the same time. So creating the ability to trade by extending the shelf life um, will can enable you know increased income opportunities, but also food waste reductions, um, you know, in those local markets. It's such an interesting idea um, to sort of preserve the shelf life in a more natural way. What we see so much is you know using cold storage. A lot of times when people cut into those avocados and they're not great, it's because they've been really cold or been frozen on the inside, you know, along the way from wherever they came from. And uh, they look identical on the outside, but on the inside, it's a different story. Do you, How do you think that that sits in terms of, you know, overall you know, we talk, we hear so many different types of ideas, uh, you know, just supporting local business, you know, farm to table, eat local, that type of thing. We talk about, you know, equitably redistributing, you know, food and resources from point A across to point B or sharing things or interconnectivity, the global market you know, in sort of concentric circles out from farm to table. How do, you, how do you think the global supply chain and the further supply chain have been, you know, affected during the pandemic? And how does that sit with what Appeal sees going forward? I think there have been some additional challenges, you know, especially in the beginning of the pandemic. You know, border closures affect the ability to move you know, food across the border too. And those delays, um, you know, could be the difference between the food making it there before it's boiled versus not. Uh, you know, so some of those, a lot of those things, those immediate disruptions have been since resolved. Um, but when we think about, you know, all of these questions, local versus you know, sourcing from a farther away region, whether something's in season or out of season. Um, there, what we, the way we think about it at, at Appeal is a lot of these um, designations or categories are, are kind of shortcuts 
for trying to answer the question, is this better for, for the global system, for the planet, for um, all of the different stakeholders throughout, for my family? And we think that there could be a lot more data behind um, some of these decisions. But right now, there's not a lot of visibility into you know, who did grow my food? Where did it come from? Um, especially with produce that's not typically, you know, labeled in the same way in the grocery store as other types of food. And so, you know, we see a real opportunity to connect consumers to their food by having a better understanding of the entire supply chain. And we think that, you know, as you know, Galley is a great example of a data platform that's enabling businesses to make more informed decisions. And we believe that, you know, in the future, there will be ways to put data in the hands of consumers too. So we can make some of these decisions for ourselves based on a fuller understanding of, you know, what really was the carbon footprint to get this product here? Um, was that better than the additional emissions to grow something in a greenhouse more locally? Um, you know, was it, you know, a smallholder, um, women-owned business that grew the food, even if it came from much farther away than, you know, the person down the street? Uh, so we, we believe that data um, is going to be a big part of how we look at some of these issues moving forward. It's so much to consider. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> you know, I mean, there are so many things to think about today. Um, you know, and I liken the evolution of how people are thinking about these things a little bit to the evolution that we've had in the United States about our point of view about coffee. You know, 20, 30 years ago, coffee was the thing you bought in the grocery store. Maybe it was instant. You bought ground coffee. You really didn't buy coffee beans. It was like chock full of nuts or Folgers, you know, instant coffee crystals. And, and that was coffee. And over time, it became bean and it became place of origin and it became single grower and it became farm and then it became shade grown. And then consumers wanted to know, was it grown, you know, organically and naturally? And then after, you know, we got to that stage, was it grown and produced in a responsible way in terms of taking care of the businesses and the people and the land and the environment? And today, consumers are very well educated about coffee and coffee beans and how they're grown and where they're produced and what they want and what they like. And people are willing to pay more of a premium to have the good shade-grown, environmentally, socially responsible, fair trade coffee. And I, I think that, you know, that sort of same path of information, awareness, and then also segmentation in the market itself is maybe perhaps what needs to be replicated you know, I don't know, 64,000 times or however many, you know, skew items there are in the average grocery store. <laughs> you know, it's the, yeah. it's those times again to sort of get to the place where you want to be, where people understand, you know, they understand the story of the product that they're eating and they are willing to pay for a better product in every way um, and whatever that requires. So, you know, we've come to that place with coffee. It took a few years for sure. Um, and, you know, we see it happened in, we see it happening in chocolate and shrimp and coconut milk, you know, just to name a few things that have bubbled up into the headlines over the past few years. Um, so maybe it's coming. Um, it'll probably take a long time. What, what do you, I mean, just as, as to close it out, um, question to both of you. You know, again, these are really ideas that are, you know, really top line, bird's eye view, big, big ideas um, and big problems. I mean, the numbers when we talk about, again, you know, that's an amazing statistic that Jess shared and I wrote it down, $2.6 trillion, you know, sort of evaporate around food waste. That's an enormous amount of money. Um, sometimes these things are like too big or too omnipresent for people to... Um, really onboard it and do something about it in the day-to-day. -day. Are there any things that you would both recommend to just the regular person? Um, 
Are there uh, resources that you like, maybe a book, maybe your favorite uh, tip for recycling or your tips for food waste? How can a regular person on a small scale in my tiny you know, apartment with my little kitchen, um, what, what are some easy things for me to think about or do that can you know, sort of help me along the way? That's a great question. Um, I think, you know, two things come to mind for me, and and they're not necessarily resources. They're more kind of a, a mindset to take. Um, the first is, I think we often, we don't often enough ask, you know, how something, a product, a piece of type of food, whatever, how it had to get to us. And, and if we ask a couple of questions, we can start to, even just at a very high level, you know, with, with some common sense, like re- understand whether something probably was really hard <laughs> versus might have been very simple. And I think, I think taking that, you know, what we would call like a life cycle perspective and understanding, oh, like I'm not just using this in a vacuum, you know, it had to somehow get to me and somehow you know, something happened to it when I'm done with it, um, if it has an end of life, I think really changes how you make some of your purchasing and consumption decisions. Um, so, you know, to me, that that's one thing. And then I think the other piece, and, and this is why I, I get really excited about Appeal, is we also have to find the solutions that are sustainable from a behavior change standpoint too. So when even just in my personal life, I try to ask myself, what are the easy changes that are also going to be better? You know, move, you know, moving a light because then, you know, you're not going to, you know, have to have it on as frequently or, you know, some of these small things that aren't going to really require any extra effort and will make small incremental um, improvements. Uh, I think if we almost kind of like audit ourselves just to look for those, we'll probably find a lot. So, you know, that's, that's personally how, how I try to look at it, because I think it goes back to my point about the not or, but, and like, what are the things that we're going to incentivize ourselves to do anyway, that are kind of these win-win solutions. Your first suggestion is an interesting one. It, it reminds me of, um, sort of a different version of label reading. For so many years, uh, you know, so many of the experts, whether they be nutrition, health, environmental, everyone tells us to read the labels, not just on your food, but on your cosmetics or on the, you know, cleaning products or anything that you put in your body or around your body or in your home space to read the labels of what's really in it and understand what you're consuming. So it it sounds to me like your suggestion is a little bit of label reading, but instead of ingredients, sort of the path of of where where it came from and how it got to you, which is a, an interesting idea. Yeah, I definitely just agree with what you said about um, finding things that are easy to do and easy to keep up. Um, now, some of the some of the tips that I have, um, they they can fall into that realm, but not necessarily. Um, and it's just because there's been an increased interest I've seen in, in cooking at home, um, in gardening, uh, or, you know, uh, planting your own herbs and things like that. And I think that this is one thing that, that people can do right now, uh, that really, uh, makes you think about how much work goes into the food that we eat, right? If you're cooking at home, if you're, you're growing your own herbs, you see the the time that goes into that. Um, and it really uh, puts the value back into food. Um, another thing that I'd recommend is uh, looking into to composting system. There are all sorts of different composting systems. Um, here in California, I'm living in a small space with a balcony and uh, we've got a vermicomposter system. Um, and when you are composting all of your, your food scraps, you see what what is going into that bucket. And, and that's actually a way that, that a lot of the chefs I've spoken with have innovated new recipes. They've taken a look in their compost bucket and said, 
hey, what is it here that I can that I can um, use in a in a, a new meal? So um, yeah, there's there's some fun ideas for for things that you can do at home. The composting idea is really interesting, um, just because of being able, as you've just articulated, being able to see the things that you're throwing away in a more thoughtful manner. Uh, and in New York City at the Union Square Green Market, they do have a composting stand where you can bring your compost, you know, if you don't have space to really be doing it in your apartment or in your home, you can bring it to the green market. So I believe there are increasingly opportunities like that also in, you know, farmers market, maybe local farms and things like that in in cities now as, as people become more and more aware of it. But that's a really interesting idea as well. And those are all easy things that people can do, you know, on the, with, without changing very much what they're doing on the day-to-day. And, you know, it's also maybe a nice way to um, take, uh, you know, take some control and put some thought into um, what you're doing and, and when you are thoughtful and make a decision to do something that always feels like um, it's, it's making progress and, and making things better. I want to thank um, both of you for calling in this morning from California a little bit earlier on your coast. Kirsten Van Fossen, the Head of Sustainability and Education at Galley Solutions. Uh, connect with her on LinkedIn if you have any questions or want to follow up with what she was saying. You can find galleysolutions.com and you can also find them on LinkedIn. Jess Vieira, the Director of Sustainability at Appeal, appeal appeal.com, and on Instagram at appeal underscore sciences and Twitter at appeal sciences. Um, Lots of interesting things on both of their websites. The interesting thing is that even though they're two very different companies, they both have these things where you can like punch in information and look at things and get an idea of how things cost or work or move. Um, so it's interesting, the interactive nature of the company websites to give people an idea of what they're talking about. Again, don't forget about Tech Bytes and Heritage Radio Network in your holiday giving. We have gifts for people. Um, and if you like listening to this podcast or one of the other shows we produce every week, it's maybe a little bit of a gift to yourself. Tech Bytes is produced by me, Jennifer Leutzi. Our engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song is Nomad a CPU Track by DJ Uptown Nico. Tech Bytes is powered by Simplecast and is available on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Go to one of them, subscribe, and leave us an amazing review. It'll be good karma, it'll be good for us, and we will love you forever. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, and this is Tech Bytes. Tech Bytes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.